Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Mike Ross. Welcome to Episode 32, Season 2 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next, I want to say, 40 minutes. We have a spirited conversation with Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge coming your way as we wrap up the Leaf season. Sadly, it's over. But before we get going, hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. What a deal. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs with DraftKings same-game parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you like. Here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win. Get $100 in free bets no matter what. The code is THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. So here we go again. Another fast offseason for the Maple Leaf hockey team. Can't get out of the first round. And I don't know about you, but I have separated this loss from all the others just because it left you with an empty feeling. It was the hockey god saying, no guy, you will not advance. Go back to game seven. Leafs get a goal called back. Nick Paul gets his second of the game on a play where the puck literally followed him. He couldn't get away from it. He went right in and scored. And for whatever reason, two to one at that point, the Leafs could do nothing about it. It was a marvelous defensive structure performance by Tampa Bay. And of course, when you win two straight Stanley Cups, you know a few things about defensive structure. Well, let's go through it all. Here is the conversation I had with Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey in NBC Sports Edge. All right, Gus, I have to say, and I've told our listeners earlier, that this just feels um, a little more, I guess, different. It just feels a little more definitive than the other ones. I, th- I think the other eliminations you were looking at and go, well, you know, they, they, they needed some pieces. But but this was the hockey god saying no guy, wasn't it? 
So I think a friend of mine actually put it the best way. It's an element where you're mad, but you don't know really what you're mad at. They played well enough to win. They just didn't win. We can kind of fault little things along the way. But like, I mean, last year you can kind of wrap your anger around, like, how could you lose in the 3-1 series to Montreal and an inferior team and blah, 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 blah. There are no excuses like that this year. It's no. And we discussed this like on the last podcast. It, we have to kind of tally that up to a learning experience. Just how much longer can you do that? Um, kind of begs the question: just how much resilience do the Leaf fans have um, in comparison to just how much that the Leafs team has um, to be able to kind of come up with this type of a, a, a disastrous just result year after year after year? Yeah, I mean, you're left with I think you're left with an empty feeling because as you look at it, even with objectivity, you're going. So what else could they have done? Uh, clearly, uh, you can go back to Game Six and go uh, the drop pass that gave Tampa the first goal, or the, uh, the the sky pass in overtime. Those are two regrettable situations. But when you get to Game Seven, when I said the hockey gods, I wasn't kidding. I mean, you get a goal called back on a play that was technically a penalty, but in Game Seven. You go, really? Okay. And they, they, they even that out. But that Nick Paul goal, the second one, is a hockey god's goal because the puck wouldn't leave the guy alone. I mean, he could not. He had to score. What else was going to happen there? And that's that's almost, I don't want to use divine intervention, but that's that's some sort of force that goes, you're scoring. And, and I, I don't know how many times I've said this. In a game seven, sometimes things happen late in the second period that, that can't be erased no matter how hard you try. And that was, I've seen that game before in game seven, that two, one game. It doesn't matter if it's the home team or, or the, the visiting team that wins. I have seen that game before, and I'm sure you have. So I've seen that from a bunch of different teams, but let's talk Leafs specifically game seven against um, Columbus. They all come out. They bomb into okay, a game five. You're right. That's game or five. Game five. You're right. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. the, 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 the and it really isn't a playoff series. It was more of a play-in series. But right. the point remains, that critical game, the defense collapsed. The Leafs have no answer for that. Montreal, they get up one nothing last last spring. They collapse into that defensive shell. The Leafs have no response for that. The exact same thing happened this year. So you see Tampa Bay collapsing, and the Leafs have zero response for it. In fact, there are plenty of instances where I saw Morgan Riley curl behind the net because he didn't want to put the puck out into the front right. and there were players there there's traffic there there could have been chaos the leafs thrived on chaos and they created zero in game seven so how, what do you really chalk that up to is it inexperience is it the fact that they aren't able to bring an emotional level to the degree that it's required in a game seven can they not execute on their game plan perhaps the game plan itself is kind of flawed because if you have the same instance three series clinching games in a row and your failure is the exact same reason three games in a row then that's not just players not executing there's something strategically incorrect and they're not doing the right thing because they just don't know how to progress above and beyond doing what they've been doing over the last 82 regular season games and the regular season is not the playoffs and they don't have the same type of intensity that they require and there's no real alternative. If the Leafs can't play in style A, they can't conform to style B. And that is problematic for a team that's looking to contend because you have to play a different style almost every single series. 
Well, I mean, they did run into a, a team that's won back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. And so, you know, I was in the press box. I looked down. Uh, Tampa, in their own zone, really did a nice job. I have to commend them, and they have the bodies to do it. There's a situation late in the game where the Leafs have pulled their goalie, so six on five, and there's two Leafs along the, the boards, the the, the, the the boards on the press box side, which is away from the bench. Mm-hmm. There's two Leafs with the puck, and all of a sudden, three Lightning players come over and just wipe it out. And when I saw that, I went, wow, that's a, that's a two on three. That was a two on nothing. It became a two on three. And, and that's how well Tampa was playing in their zone. That, you know, the, the, the cheap line to get out of all this analysis is just don't, just don't play game seven because well, if you won it in game six, we, none of this would have happened, but, but that's an opportunity that you gave away. And, you know, when I look back on it, I, you're sort of you get mixed messages that game one, that five, nothing game one win was a, a perfect hockey game. Um, the, 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 the game they won in Tampa, the, what was that game three, right? Five, mm-hmm. two, That's correct. Those, those two games alone would set you off on a, on a different track in terms of your thoughts about the least, because those are really impressive wins. And then what you're left with is let's do some math here, a three and one after that, right? So the boondoggle is that game four. And again, every team is allowed to have one crappy game every series tampa bay was game one i thought leafs were game four um but in the end after that game three everything that the Leafs were doing right to get those two big wins um they stopped doing their power play just and you know the power play stopped working at the beginning of april it became this static monster that they really weren't weren't they weren't using the tactics that made it a number one power play throughout the entire season and they kind of defaulted onto some like static pressure i mean when you have morgan riley and william nylander is the only players on this team with more than one power play point you have to look at that as being one of the biggest failures from game four and on and whether or not they got the calls or not you had an opportunity in game seven two times to use your power play your biggest strength strategically and you failed to capitalize on that. We can give Tampa Bay all the credit that you want, but the reality here is you had the opportunities, or at least they had the opportunities um, to put the game away and they just were, they failed to do so. Um, And on one more note for the special teams, the power kill that they used in game one, which was really effective, and they kind of continued to try to use that in games two and three, it became so much less effective as Tampa Bay's power play started to really come into uh, fruition. So the Leafs special teams completely collapsed this entire series. They played well enough to win at five on five, and we got to give them their credit where it's due. I thought that the biggest issue heading into the uh, uh, the playoffs was going to be Jack Campbell and goaltending, and he was exceptional except for a few little moments. But when your special teams collapse like that and you're just not able to capitalize on, on, on any of that, it's pretty easy to point out to one of the things that has to improve over the next season in order for them to be a lot more competitive against a high-powered team. Well, and, and that um, sort of sums up what we're left to analyze here. So you had the best power play in the league in the regular season, and now you have to tweak it. Um, and, you know, to the eye test, now there's a couple things jump right off the page. The breakout needs a lot of work. That drop pass is just a telegraph to to pressure. Uh, so that, that has to be cleaned up. Um, you know, when they're in the zone, they pass that puck around because there's no lane to shoot. So I don't know how you defend against that. Like if, if you're an offensive team and you're on the power play, if they're not giving you a lane, I don't know how to break that down. But but I've often said this about their power play, and I hate to be critical of it because it's the best in the league, but they didn't seem to, to break down coverage uh, a lot. 
so those are two things that have to be worked on. But again, you know, I'm going to temper this by saying when we're analyzing the lease, we're talking about tweaking some pretty good elements here that just at the at the ultimate moment didn't work. Well, you know, there's also another element there that we haven't really even touched upon, and that's John Tavares. John Tavares at five on five up until maybe game six was a non-factor. At five on four, again, other than just battling behind the net, he was a non-factor. So when we're taking a look at what kind of went right and what kind of went wrong, when one of your star players that is expected to perform at a level um, of expectation based on their experience, their skill level, their pay, their whatever, and they not, that means everybody else has to kind of pick up the slack. So you right. put JT in front and he becomes the net front presence, which is fine because he doesn't have to do a lot of movement. But to your point, the way that a good power play runs is to create those seams, to right. create those openings. And the Leafs over the course of the season were doing so well doing that. They would pull defenders away from their spot. They would gather into the open ice and then they would just create different. And then at the beginning of April, that started to stop. They started to go back into the similar type of routines that they were using last year, trying to shoot from the sides, trying to make row row passes from one end of the ice to the other so that they can catch the goaltender. But with Tampa Bay clogging up everything and not really falling for the chase game and then trying to open those seams, Toronto had no other recourse. They just kind of played out the time. And that breakout, as you mentioned, you know, I hate the drop pass and I get that it's efficiency and, and, and why it's used and all of that, but it's just so telegraphed for Toronto that it was easy for Tampa Bay to defend as the series progressed. And if you can't have the number one power play, and we're talking about the number one, not necessarily the best, but the number one result-oriented power play and it not getting results, something has to change. To me, that really kind of goes back to coaching. I feel that game seven, all their clinching games uh, that have now featured Sheldon Keefe have had the same strategical errors that wouldn't have allowed them to get into the next level, whether that's on five on five, five on four, or the problem, uh, promulgation of, of an exceptional power kill, the ability to generate offense uh, while you're killing a penalty. All of that just collapsed as the series went on. Yeah, it's a it's a tough story because I I don't think there's a, anywhere near the curiosity this summer about what the Leafs do about this, uh, just because they're, you know, you, you talked about uh, JT, and and when you have to compensate for for somebody, it just uh, it's a tough thing. I, I don't know exactly what the answer is there. Would you play him on the wing? I think we talked about this last week, didn't we? Yeah, you see, at the at this point, there's no well. I mean, it's a younger but, game. There's no question about that. That, that yeah. You have to be young and fast. and well, He doesn't have the wheels to be uh, able to play center at this point. So, you know, just for his career, I think it's best for him to either. Personally, I think we need to take a step back. There is a conversation that needs to be had in the management office about John Tavares, whether that's, and I don't think that it's, uh, applicable. You can't move him. You can't trade him. I don't expect him to want to leave. I would expect him to want him to be part of the solution, but he's clearly not capable of playing that two line, second line center, even outside of this playoff series. He's struggled to score in a long periods of time over the course of this season, whether that's because he was hurt. If it wasn't because he was hurt, then you have other issues. They need to have that conversation and they need to tell Tavares, if we need to keep you in the lineup and we expect you to be productive, a support, whatever the case is, we're going to have to move you away from being a pivot onto a wing. He'll be much more effective with the less responsibility. 
and he can kind of move into that F1, F2, F3, because after the faceoff, uh, it's essentially an F1, F2 series. It's not necessarily a center, left wing, and all of that. All of those uh, responsibilities get jumbled, but you can't rely on Tavares anymore. He's not that second-line center that he was when they first signed him. He's too slow to be a part of the future, so he needs to be a support player. That means he does need to go by the wing. That's one of the solutions. The other solution is maybe either put him on a line with, with more – skilled players and let him be that defensive support rather than the offensive foil. So there are a lot of conversations that you can have around John Tavares, but you can't have this kind of a performance from one year star players. Yeah. He didn't play against Montreal and you felt his absence, but he was in the lineup here and you still felt his line, his absence. There needs to be another solution to this. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, just look what they did with, uh, with Marlowe and, uh, and Thornton as they got, I mean, this is happening at, a, at an earlier age, but these guys got moved to the wing and, and were contributors. And I, and I think uh, JT has a relevant role in the team. It's just not what they're counting on him to do right now, but I think it could be a big factor. Uh, the other thing that jumps off the page, and I, my analysis is always eye test. Uh, I'm just looking at the, the Tampa lineup. When you see guys like Kaloran, Sorelli, Colton, um, who else am I missing? Paul, uh, Maroon, Belmar, uh, more, not as much Maroon as the series went on. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to put Corey Perry off to the side because he's, he's just a, a, in a special category. I, I don't think the Leafs have enough of those guys that I just rhymed off. Those guys that have boundless energy and, and create and, and hound. Uh, I think there's a, a, a bit of a, a void on the roster. Maybe voids tough, but there's, there's a deficiency on the Leaf roster that way. And this is exactly where I feel um, without any big moves or any big firings, because I don't expect anybody to lose their job um, over all of this. Under the assumption that they kind of roll out the same core players and they move forward, they absolutely need to change some of that depth into the type of players that you just mentioned rather than the type of depth that they have. Ilya Mikheyev and Pierre Engvall, who were phenomenal during this regular season, laid eggs the entire playoffs. One goal. I just wanted one goal from the depth. One goal at a key moment in times where in the regular season they would step up, they couldn't step up. So perhaps they do need somebody similar to a Corey Perry, because you're right, he does belong in a special category, and perhaps yeah. Toronto does need to find someone like that. They had somewhat similar in a Jason Spezza, but that's one guy, and he struggled as well, too. There's there's a lot of uh, tinkering on the edges that the Leafs still kind of need to do, but my expectation was that they would at least be competitive enough to make those type of uh, assessments as the series, as they get closer to becoming cup contenders, not after a first round loss. You can't make proper assessments after one round loss because you just haven't played enough opponents and come across enough situations for them to say, we need a Pat Maroon. We need a Corey Perry. We need a Russ Colton. We need somebody that's not in our current depth right now. So Alex Kerfoot, which I think is actually one of the better depth players, could have been moved up and down the lineup. Michael Bunting, who was a Calder uh, nominee, um, was absolute garbage the entire series. Not healthy. Healthy or not, then that sh that falls on coaching then. Why are they putting a player in that position if they're really not that healthy? They yeah. can do some kind of tinkering, something. So it's not just players. It's not just depth, although that, those are two big issues. There's something wrong with the overall strategy here if they cannot get through the same issues year after year after year. Well, I'm going to say something now that most people might not agree with, but but here's here's how I look at this. You know, it's sort of a dead end elimination because you wonder where it goes. 
But I'm confident that at some point they piece this together. And when they do, which could be next year or the year after, you're going to look at that team and you're going to compare it to this team and you're going to realize the voids on this team. You know, it was a record-setting year for the franchise in terms of their performance. Nobody has any issue with that, but it just wasn't good enough. I mean, that's why you don't win. Now, it's Tampa in the first round. If it was somebody else and you got through, eventually you're going to run into a Tampa-type team and that's what's going to happen to you. You know, maybe... As a kind of a, a an odd hand blessing, this is probably good that it happened here in the first round too, because it gives them the opportunity to to make that kind of an assessment. Um, it would have been nicer to get a little further down the way, just because from the fans and excitement and and it kind of shows progression. The optics of losing in the first round are worse than the actual results are. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. Like. Uh, over the next two seasons, you're right. The void that we kind of see right now is likely, I say likely because it's still kind of tough to fill a lot of those positions considering there's a ton of different players out there and, and situations and, and all of that. But, I mean, what are the Leafs going to do with goaltending right off the bat here too, right? We're, there's still enough questions that we don't know how they can be addressed systematically throughout this offseason to make them better or more competitive or even just as competitive as they were this year. They had a historical season from Austin Matthews. Is he really going to be historical again next year? I I think so. I I think he will. You would expect him from a goal-scoring perspective, and I've always said the Leafs will go as far as Austin Matthews is able to carry them. He failed to score in Game 7. They didn't win. Nobody else stepped up. Nobody else was able to do anything above and beyond that and you can give everybody the benefit of the doubt yeah you're playing hurt or some or whatever the case but the other team is having their same issues absolutely they take Braden point out of the game because of an injury whatever the case is how do you not capitalize on something like that change your lines do something and yeah, they fail to do anything. Well, that's the hockey gods. I mean, so there it is that, you know, Tampa loses a, a key performer at the end of the first period uh, and basically don't have them for two periods and you can't capitalize because they got a destiny goal and there's nothing you can do about it. It wasn't your night. Um, I guess the, the, the bigger issue, like I, we're going to just go through a lot of stuff here. I, I think Matthews is, is on the road to uh, maybe five or six years like he just had. And, and I like Marner, although I think we talked about this last week as the series got into game six and seven, uh, you know, the hits started to wear him down. Um, and I like bunting. I like bunting, but I don't see bunting on this line next year. I think you need much more. I think you need a bigger guy who's going to help because Austin Matthews, you, you saw, I mean, he took it upon himself physically to do things as well. I don't know if you want him to do that all the time. I think you need somebody beside him who's helping him with that. They either find a player that is capable of getting pucks back so that Matthews doesn't, and Marner doesn't have to be as physical as they really should have been. Um, Sorry, at least as much as they've showed uh, uh, in this first round. Or they get a more physical presence to be able to kind of go in and do that banging, smashing, and crashing so that the two talented players are able to score goals. But they have to score the goals. So if if the player is not contributing or if they're contributing and the, the stars aren't scoring, there's still an element that's missing. So you're right. I don't think Bunting is that first-line player next year. I think that they replace him with something. I don't know what that something is. Could it be a Nick Robertson, something internal? Could it be a trade of some sort or, or a signing of some sort? But I don't think that he's the key there. The other player that I really want to bring into focus here is Andre Kashuk. Andre Kashuk could have been that player on the first line. Yeah. And you know, having to dress a player that's not 100% and you know that that player kind of fit a specific part of your 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 roster and now you have to move him down. As much as I loved 
the chance that they took on an Andre Kasha, you can't bring that guy back. And you can't bring players anymore where um, you feel just because of injuries in the past and their frailty, uh, they're able to perhaps perform something better on your team. You need to have reliability and resiliency. And those two items were not available for Kasha. And as much as I really wanted him to be a, a, a solid part of this Toronto Maple Leafs team, I'm not really sure that he fits into the mold anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He's an RFA, so you'd have to walk away, and, and that can be done. Um, I just think that the, what they need is a healthy Kasha, so you have to find one out there. Uh, we're talking about a, a bigger physical winger with with the scoring upside who can think like Matthews and Marner. You have mm-hmm. to find them, and, and you find these guys. They're in the two to three million dollar range, but they're out there. And you just have to really, you know, beat the the the, the bushes to find these guys. And, and and that's, I mean, they did a nice job that way last year. I think you know if you wrapped all this up, you you talk about. Uh, there's parts of the roster that has to compensate for other parts of the roster. Correct. And we're talking we're talking about not the regular season because everything looks great in the regular season. We're talking about game six and game seven when your life is on the line. So we talked about Matthews and Marner and, and bunting, even a healthy bunting is, is not the guy that you want there just to, to because mm-hmm. Matthews and Marner are compensating for the lack of physical play there. Tavares on the second line, there's a compensation that goes there uh, that puts stress on the wingers. Uh, the fourth line was, was uh, just not a match for Tampa's fourth line. So that has to be upgraded, and and that's up front, and that's a pretty good forward unit, and it's not a, an indictment on anybody. They're all great hockey players. You're talking about the right mix. Correct. Fit and description of that fit um, and the expectation level too, right? Because I'm not really sure what management expected from this group of forwards, but um, from the way that they constructed it, they were just trying to fill some holes, and they did a pretty decent job. I mean, David Camp showed that he was a good addition. Um Engvall and Mikheyev, I think, were illusory. So because those two players did so well, and Mikheyev is going to be an unrestricted free agent, I don't expect him to be back in the Toronto uniform. But you know what happened with Mikheyev, though? Last year, he was Mr. I'm never going to hit the net, and every shot missed the net. This year, he was so good on the power kill that he was able to get lots of shots on net, and he got some of those results. And then in the playoffs, he resorted to old Ilya Mikheyev, where he couldn't hit the net if his life depended on it. There was one... let me just interrupt. There's one play in game seven where he does the, the swoop in from the left side. And I looked at him and went, why did you, he, he tried to go short side. Now all season long, he'd gone and tucked it around the other side. And I went, why did you do that? You had so much success going around the goalie and tucking it in. It's almost as if they kind of short, short changed their own skill set, right? Like he knows yeah. what brought him success in the regular season, yet he's trying something new, something different. It's almost as if Somebody might be whispering in his ear, you know, they watch videos of you. They know exactly well, what they do. Well, they do. <laughs> they do. Right. But there's a reason why that kind of stuff is always kind of. Uh, well, that, th- those are all right? his attributes, though. He's got full speed and he's got a reach like like very few hockey players. I mean, he just took all his advantages and, and, and tried to jam it in short side. And that never worked. He's got yeah. years where you could show it that never worked. So now we're going to see Ilya Mikheyev in a very different uniform, trying to do the same things that he did last year that made him successful. And I'm not really sure whether that's going to be uh, a positive or a negative. As far as I'm concerned, if he's not doing it in a Leaf uniform, he could have all the success that he personally wants. I just don't feel that that's uh, conductive uh, to any positivity here in Toronto. So now you have to fill that spot. Yeah, that's so, a tough one. So that so what you have to do is go back to the original job description, and they've signed a number of guys, and and you know they you have to sort of watch them grow. I I don't know that this is a watch them grow situation though. 
you see there's a lot of different questions that are entering next season too. It's Kerfoot's last year. What if Kerfoot doesn't cap. necessarily move, right? Then they have to move him at the trade deadline because of whatever. Um, the same kind of thing happens here. Now you have Jason Spezza and Colin Blackwell that are both unrestricted free agents. Spezza at a bargain based on price, I think I would bring him back. The leadership there, whether he's the Jason Spezza of Ottawa or the Jason Spezza that we saw this season, I still think that he's good enough to play on that fourth line. Colin Blackwell was a phenomenal addition from the Seattle Kraken. I kind of hope that they bring him back in a, 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 a reasonable contract. I kind of feel that there might still be a little bit left from Mark Giordano and a reasonable contract. He might be able to kind of provide some kind of value, but the Leafs blue line needs a little bit of tinkering. Jake Muzzin isn't the same kind of Jake Muzzin. Sandin and Lilligren both have to kind of get get in there and, and, and step up well, to their Babushkin. level. Labushkin kind of had a, I don't know. I thought that was a bit of a, yeah, he was a bit of a mixed bag though. There were points where I felt that he was a positive because of the physicality, but he cannot handle that puck well enough to fit into the type of mold that the Leafs want from a defenseman. So I'm not, I think that he was always supposed to be a bit of a temporary measure um, based on yeah. how Jake but, Muslin's health was. But, you know, so there we go back to the original premises. You found him, find another. That's correct. Find another if whether it's internally or externally. That's right. I mean that. that I mean that. Fun. That really is the secret to this. The secret sauce here is what whatever whatever the issue is. Find a solution. Don't tell me what the issue is. You got to you got to backfill with with another player. So Toronto's research and development and analytics department probably has spreadsheets of players that they've already targeted moving into the season, regardless of whether they won the cup or they were out first round. So it would be the same process, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. This this is what they have to do. And I still think, because they still have Peter Morazic on books for another two oh. more two years, they oh. need to do something about goaltending. You can't come back with Campbell and Morazic as a pairing because no. it just it didn't really work. Well, I mean, first of all, you have to come back with Campbell. I mean, I'm, everybody assumes that that's a fit, and, and I'm I'm with them, but you never really know when you hit free agency. Yeah, and the problem with Morazic signing for two more years is it eats into Campbell's time, right? If they have a better option out there. It's not going to be Mrazic that they buy out. It's going to be Campbell that they don't resign. Yeah, well, yeah, but having said that, Campbell's the number one. I just, I, I, they have to move or somehow be creative with the Mrazic contract because it's three point eight. Uh, you know, the the Nylander six point nine is is you know, and again, you know, so we're, if we talk about McKayev and Nylander, these guys would go on to NHL teams. McKayev on a lower echelon team would be a number one. A top line winger. There's no question about that. So, so you have to get over, you know, what they are with the Leafs. There's 31 other teams, and of those 31 other teams, at least 16 would probably want Mikheyev on their top line. Uh, and for Nylander, he would be a top line player, maybe even a center on on those bottom 16 teams. No question about that. Uh, so you can't really criticize the player for whatever they're asking or whatever they're making because that's market value, and people have a problem with that. The question is, if if you lost or moved. If you moved Nylander out and lost Mikheyev, what would you backfill with? So that's because, because that's the answer, right? That's actually the the issue, right? You have to make a decision. Let, let's talk about Nylander specifically. It's not like you're going to get a player that's going to immediately replace Nylander and his skill set, regardless of whether they get a one-on-one or one for future, whatever the case is. So they're going to have to backfill, as you said, either internally or find two different players that they're going to have to test out in that particular spot. With Mikheyev, add add another body. So now that's three players that they're going to have to either test out. I'm not really sure whether the return for Nylander would give them an, uh, enough of a, a quality player that they can 
generally right, uh, rightly insert into the lineup to have his kind of an effect. Now, having said that, there are some bad optics with Nylander. There's some phenomenal um, pluses to his game, but the two do not mesh properly because all anybody thinks about when they see William Nylander is holding up so that he doesn't get hit. They don't look at the fact that he scored one of the most beautiful goals in game five um, to be able to kind of bring them into that situation where they're up three, nothing taking the goal yet. So you're not going to get another William Nylander coming back. You better be getting an impact player, whether it's through that trade or through another trade or through another signing, because it's difficult to replace a star and it's not easy to replace a skilled star in the first place. So do the Leafs go back to kind of your original thought that they might need some, um, I hate to use the word gritty or physical, just but but for the lack of a better term, that's kind of the element they're kind of they're kind of missing. Is that the way that they yeah. go when they take Nylander away from that? I, I think you know. Let, let's just do the numbers. And again, it's got nothing to do with Nylander. Understood. But if I if I gave you seven million dollars and and you told me you couldn't come up with two guys at three point five to play the way we described, I'd tell you you weren't much of a general manager. That's two Alex Kerfoots when you kind of put it into that that situation, but, right? But, but not Alex Kerfoot. But I'm, not you know, Alex Kerfoot. But, 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 but there are players out there. So I'm, I'm telling you that you get rid of that $7 million and come back with two at 3.5, and, and they are those those hungry players that have skill but also a lot of grit. Should be You should be able to do that. Yeah. I think the equivalency here is exactly this. this thought. And it might actually come back to how the coaching wants to do it. If they want to take Nylander out, but they need to change some of their strategy in order to accomplish that. That's all fine and good too, but they all have to be on the same page in order for them to do that. You can't just take Nylander out a skilled component, say, we're going to replace them with these two players and then tell the coaching staff, now go find them where they fit and how they kind of make There has to be a lot more collaboration, I think, from management and coaching overall. Yeah. Well, and that's an easy equation. So uh, we're using the name Nylander because of, because of the dollar figure. Of course, uh, and, of course. And that all works, but that's that solves the problem up front. That doesn't get you Jack Campbell back. So there's there's some gymnastics that have to go on financially here to make that all work. You know, I could put the case where I think Marner should be the one to move. Like, I, I get that he had a phenomenal start to the series, but he became less effective as the series went on. Um, the force was still everything was kind of relying on how Matthews kind of performed. And, you know, Marner had a, a few exceptional moments in game four, five, and six, but he never scored anything. He never contributed anything. All those individual plays never really amounted to anything. So using Nylander as an excuse, we can also make a, a use case there for Mitch Marner being the one to move. And now we actually have $11 million where you can spend, which brings back two very different impact players compared yeah. to two, three and a half million. So there are a lot of internal conversations the Toronto Maple Leafs have to have. Whether they can actually execute on any of these ideas or, 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 or whatever we're discussing here, that's another matter. But the conversations need to be had. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. With, uh, I'm going to put on my builder's hat. So when you're renovating, you go, what's the square footage? And then you work with that because once you define the square footage, everything else fits into that. So in this particular case, uh, give me the salary cap. Give me give me the flexibility. And how do we get more flexibility? Because then once you strip that down as much as you can, then you can add in the pieces. Otherwise, you're stuck with old furniture and, and old cabinets and you, you're working around them and you can't really do that, can you? You got the experience with renovations, don't you, Mr. Taddy? <laughs> yes. It's always square footage. And, you know, you walk into a room here. No, no, just to the walls. Give me the square footage. And then you design from there, right? So you have to, 
get as much cap space as you can and then you backfill but but they go in concert you know it's one thing to strip out some some dollars but you better have the right backfill this is not a we're going to try this no no it has to work there are some components internally that they can actually turn to as well like i mentioned colin blackwell being a ufa at 725,000. i mean if they might want to fill that spot with nick robertson which isn't necessarily a physical player but a lot more skilled, a lot more, uh, just as speedy as Blackwell is. So uh, there might just be some internal situations where they're able to kind of save a little bit of money, save a little bit of cap space that they can kind of use in other spots. But they absolutely have a lot of different decisions that they have to make. Some of the cap space from Ilya Labushkin, so that's 1.4 million that's coming off the books. You have Giordano under the assumption he does not come back. That's another 4 million off the books. You have Spezza and Blackwell together. That's about a million and a half. So now we're looking at what kind of cap space that we actually have. Can they fill the players? Ilya Mikheyev was making 1.6 million. Can you find players in that range? Because that's how they're going to have to plug it in. It's yeah. not like they at least have a lot of flexibility based on the type, the overall cap that they have and say, okay, well, we can kind of eliminate all this money and then, and then change it. Cause they don't have that kind of flexibility. They're going to have to count their pennies and figure out whether or not they have enough internal solutions where they yeah. don't have to go out into the open market and pay, you know, market prices for, for, for those players. And there might be a few internal solutions, but not enough to carry them through to be the contenders that they expect to be. Last minute of play in this podcast. Okay. Now it's time for Yes Guy, No Guy, the season-ending edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. <laughs> yes Guy, No Guy, number one, major changes are needed. Yes Guy, No Guy. No Guy. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I think there's there's tweaking, there's there's creative yep. thinking, Yep. But, but I wouldn't consider anything that happens here major. Not at all. Uh, yes Guy, No Guy, number two, the first job is to create cap space. Yes Guy, No yes Guy. guy. Yeah, that's that that that's the answer right there, right? And and that's a tough decision because you will be moving out pretty good hockey players. There there should be a pretty good market for some of those guys if you wanted to move them out. Uh, and the final yes guy no guy. It's imperative that Campbell is re-signed. I'm gonna say no guy. Ooh. I think hey, if well. there's another if there's another solution out there, and I don't know whether there is or there's I'm I would say that there should be another solution rather than Jack Campbell coming back as the number one. Oh, I, I do, I'm going to disagree with you. I just think that he's a nice fit. Uh, having said that, uh, you know, we said earlier, the Campbell-Morazic tandem, that, that can't happen again. And well, do you think Shalgren could go a full year? I don't really think the Shalgren is the answer there either. See, if you're going to be a contender, you need to have something that is average or better consistently. Both Morazic and Campbell haven't shown that they can do that. Campbell has in spurts, and again, I, I, you have to give him the credit that he's due. He wasn't the reason why the Leafs lost. But man, you can't go into the playoffs with a question mark in your crease and hope for the best. Hope is not a viable strategy, so I don't think that Campbell is the right fit there. And the key point is Vasilevsky wasn't his normal self in that series, it. was he? Nope, that crazy goal by Tavares where he kind of knocked it in himself with his own yeah. glove hand, that's typical of what happened to Vasilevsky this entire round. If he was top form, world elite level goaltending, the Leafs would have scored one goal every game and been out five games straight. So, Gus, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Pleasure's always mine. Have a good one, Jim. Hope everybody enjoyed Leafs Guy episode 32. Hope you come back next week for episode 33.